as promised, I'm not, I'm, I'm not teaching Greek to you people, okay? But I am offering you a, a little, little piece every week so that you can, this is just designed to help you mostly to just move through some basic Bible tools. So remember that the New Testament was written in Greek. Here's a little background information real quick. We call classical Greek the Greek from 8th to 4th century B.C. Okay? So if you're familiar with any of these names, this is the literature from Homer to Plato. If you grew up on the Iliad or the Odyssey, if you know who Achilles or Odysseus or Helen of Troy are, that's Homer. If you've heard of Plato's, Dialogues, Socrates, the, the Cave, any of that stuff, Homer to Plato, that was classical Greek, okay? And it came in several dialects, okay? Just like in English, right? You've got your, uh, you've got your um, you know, southern drawl, drawl. All my fingers. <laughs> yeah, it's just gravitated right to Clifford. Um, also, um, you know, I, like I said before, I have all these family members from my mom's side that are in Connecticut. When we went up there and visited three or four times. They'll come down here. You know, every time I see them, they say, I don't care how many degrees you have. With that accent, you're always a hillbilly to us. And I say, you know, as they're saying this joke to me, I'm looking right back at them and saying, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I can't understand a word coming out of your mouth either. So this is a mutual thing, you know, hock in your cod and hob and yod and all that. So these are the three dialects of classical Greek. But since Alexander the Great was speaking this one, actually a sort of a derivative called Attic Greek, because he conquered the world and he spoke that, guess what happened? Everybody started speaking that one. And all the other ones kind of just faded out. By the time you get to the New Testament, people start joining. Have you ever met anybody, a family, or some? Maybe you do this. You speak like, you'll speak some in Spanish and some in English, like, back, like interchanging. You know, I don't, you know people that can do that really well? Of course you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. Absolutely. And you're just, it's amazing to me. I mean, they can start a thought in this language and finish it in that one. Okay. So as people... In, in the biblical world, in the Mediterranean world, they were, they were conversing in several languages, okay? Um, they, might, they might know the language of their ancestors, little bits of it, like um, the Hebrew language. Uh, when I was teaching you guys Shakespeare, and the, the first time that I, I, I didn't even know, like some of the smartest kids in the class, the guys that were the best, most well-read kids, they were like, we were reading Shakespeare, and we were like days into it, days into it. And one of the kids said, what, what does that mean, thou? And I was like, wait a minute. This is one of the smartest kids in the class, and if they don't know what thou means, and we're four days into this reading, we may have to start this whole thing over. You know, this is just you, right? But we don't talk like that anymore. We don't say things like, um, you know, uh, alas, or alack, or thee, thou, whithersoever, etc., etc. So, so, Jesus' people, the disciples, the people you read about in the New Testament, they would have thought of Hebrew like that. Like, I think that's my language, but it's kind of, nobody talks like that anymore. They spoke Aramaic. Which was sort of a, another uh, sort of updated modern version of that Hebrew. They also would have spoken Greek, and they would have spoken Koine, which means common Greek. The reason they spoke Koine Greek was because after Alexander conquered the known world, the Western world, uh, everybody had to have that language in order to to have to to transact business. Okay, I mean maybe you could transact business, you know, with your brother who spoke Aramaic, but if you wanted to go to town. I, was, I didn't even know that was a phrase until I got here. <laughs> we used to live down the street right here, and Margie would say to my wife, Margie, Miss Curry, some of you know, Margie Curry, she would say, uh, now, now, Tia, do uh, y'all plan to go to town this week? And what she meant was Crockett. And I said, go to town this week? 
we'll be in Crockett once and Lufkin once a day. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah we're going to town. Yeah, we're absolutely going to town. Anyhow, so uh, if you went to town, you know, in Jesus' day, then uh, in that Mediterranean world, you were going to have to speak some Greek, Koine Greek. But this is common Greek, okay? It's not the fancy, this isn't that, okay? So I'll give you an example. There's real subtleties in the Greek language, the classical Greek language, that weren't there in the Bible. Most of the biblical Greek is just ordinary, everyday speech. I'm trying. I want to think of one. Give you one word for an example. Okay. Um, this this look, This is actually this. This is what it would look like in English. Alas. And uh, heteros, okay? Now, if you were Homer, you had this real subtle stuff. These both mean the same thing. They both mean other. But back in Homer's day, you used this word if you meant other of the same kind, and this one if you meant other of a different kind. So if I said I'll have a alos in Homer's day, that meant give me... If I had an apple in my hand and I said, I'll have alas, that'd be, give me another apple. But if I said, I got an apple in my hand, I say, give me heteros, then I'd be saying, you might, you might hand me an orange. Just another kind of fruit, not the same fruit. This one meant other of the same kind. This one meant other of a different kind. Okay? That's a subtlety that Homer and Plato, this Greek have. By the time you get to this Greek, fancy stuff like that's kind of passed on. Okay? This is not... Koine doesn't have a whole lot of that, okay? Now, some of the New Testament's written in a little bit uh, more sophisticated Greek, but most of it isn't. Most of it's your average, ordinary Greek, okay? So that's, that's that. That's the background of the language. I'll give you a couple more letters today from the alphabet, and then I'll move into Philippians 2. That's where we're headed. So uh, what did I take? Last week we did, we did this. It's like a hangman. We did those four letters in capital last week. We did those four letters as a lowercase. This is alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. And this is A as in short A, like father. Not a, but ah. Okay? So the word, a very important word in the Bible... Agape is not agape, but agape. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Short A as in father. B, beta, G like the hard G. G, go, gamma, and then D, delta. That's the ones we learned last week. Okay? And then this week, real briefly, you got... Epsilon, which is the short E sound, like as in pet. This one gets drawn pretty weird. Okay, that's how I do it. My professor wouldn't like it because it needs to, it's supposed to have more of a curve, but that's the way I've always done it. Zeta, Z. Okay, Zeta. Um, oh. This one's throwing you off. That was like an H. That was like an N that somebody didn't. That's like one of Luke's N's last year when he was trying to get him handwriting to work on. It's like my N now. Like your signature N or whatever. Okay. But this is actually Eta, which they call long E, but sounds like our long A. Eta. Okay? Eta. It, it is there. It's Greek's long E sound, but their long E sounds like our long A. So look at this word. This is A, G, A, P, and then there's that Ada, which is really an E, but it sounds like our long A, agape. Okay? Agape. It's because that's not an E, that's not an epsilon, that's an Ada. Long, like a long A sound. Okay? And then the last one that I'll give you today is you might remember this from geometry. Theta. Or from, or from like sororities and whatever in college. 
right? Theta, I mean, this is pretty straightforward, TH. Okay, now you know eight letters of the Greek alphabet. You're one-third there. Congratulations. So when you get to the Bible tools, if you go to a concordance or you want to use some tools like that, um, a lexicon or something, a dictionary from Greek, I mean, if you know these letters, you'll be able to at least use those resources. Because a lot of the resources are not written in Greek, but you have to know the Greek letters. So, okay, that's, that's pretty helpful. So those are the first four. These are the next four. And you're a third of the way there. So Philippians chapter 2, we want to study that tonight together briefly. Philippians 2, I see people back from vacations. Um, we had a tremendous answer to prayer a couple of weeks back. Pastor Gail had requested about his sister, and I did not mention last week that by that time that, uh, that she had been found. God, uh, God did, it. she was safe. I mean, there's ongoing challenges there he can share whatever he wishes later but but at least we but the, the basic fundamental need in prayer uh, just not knowing where she was she was found and he went to get her from Austin and so we're grateful that God protected her some guys on vacation trips and coming back we're glad to see you and with those thoughts let's go to Philippians 2 and uh <laughs> My, my translation of verse 1 is, is I, I think verse 1 of chapter 2 is humorous, okay? And I'll tell you what my translation of it is. So you've listened, he, he's, we've, we've read one chapter of this letter. Uh, now we get to chapter 2, and it begins this way in the English Standard Version of the Bible. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind. That bled into verse 2. I'm going to go back to those if statements. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Basically, verse 1 says, for the love of God. In other words, people, if there's anything, if there's any encouragement in being a person in Christ, if there's any comfort at all from being uh, from the love of God, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there's any of that stuff for the love of God, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Okay? Have, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So here's the first thing Paul encourages his church that he is estranged from while he's in prison for the faith, this is what he says. He says, have the same mind, have the same love, be of one accord and one mind. Does any Bible scholar in here recognize this phrase from anything in Bible history? One mind and one accord? The upper room. Upper room at Pentecost. So Paul is echoing that experience and he's saying, be like that. Have the same mind and the same love. Um, I got to tell you, I, I stand in awe of this as a goal. Um, it is difficult for me to be of the same mind myself. Okay, I mean, like I have trouble having the same mind about stuff. The Bible talks about being a double-minded man and how unstable that is. I mean, I find myself on Tuesday not having the same mind I had last Tuesday sometimes. It's a challenge to be of the same mind personally. Then when you extend that to your spouse, <laughs> when you extend that to your parents, to your kids, to your cousins, to your friend, to your neighbor. I mean, this is an astounding thing to ask for, to command of people, and it's only something that can happen through, first of all, the work of the Holy Spirit. God has to do that. But in order for God to do it, somebody has to yield themselves to God. 
We have to say, we have to surrender ourselves to God. So when you get a new coach on a team, or a new school teacher, or a, or a new pastor, okay, when somebody new, a leader of some kind, is introduced to you, there has to be buy-in from the people. I mean, if not, right, if they don't surrender or kind of submit themselves under this authority, then you know nobody's going anywhere. And you get a new coach on a team and people are like, you know, well, he's not like that guy or she's not like that lady. You know, pastoring's always difficult like that. There's always, I mean, like I, as an evangelist, I used to travel. And so I would go from this church to this church and preach for a week or so. And while I was there, I met all these different church people. And it was interesting because a lot of times you would just hear stories and people would talk about like, you know, they would talk about that preacher who used to be there 20 years ago or who was here and stayed for 15 years or 30 years. And that guy, you know, was like, it doesn't matter if the Apostle Paul comes in next, they'll never be like that guy, you know, because he was the standard, you know what I mean? Or, or the worship leader or whatever. They'll never be the standard or the coach. They'll never be the standard. I mean, we all struggle with this somewhat. I mean, I, in the world of sports, I've always, I, I, I don't care who they get, you know, Tom Landry's always going to be my coach. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Roger Stallback's always going to be my quarterback. So, you know, I, we had some good ones after that. But I, those were my guys growing up. And, and so some of this is a, it's challenging because we have to surrender ourselves. I don't, as a spectator, have to surrender myself to Jerry Jones. But I do have to surrender myself if I take a class and, to a new teacher or a, a, a team like if we start a wiffle ball championship team, I'm going to need some submission from some people, okay, for coaching. Anyway, but stuff like that, we're going to have to. You guys came in there, and, and, and you, you, the church, it wasn't like you planted the church. It was an already existing church, just like Mount Olive was when we came. It wasn't, uh, I've planted a church before. That's a totally different thing. But when you come into a church that already exists, it takes time to gain the influence. So you have to, as a pastor, you have to be patient with people. You have to recognize that they, uh, they don't know you. They don't know if you're going to stay. They've already been there. They have memories and history collected here. You don't. And so they don't know if they can trust you yet. So you have to earn that somewhat. But then on their part, they also have to open their hearts to you and submit and say, well, you know, okay, maybe he doesn't do it, maybe she doesn't do it, but, but, but we're, you know, these are God's people and we're going to submit. And so in order to make this work, even though God's Spirit is the one ultimately who's, who can bring us into one mind, um, there is an element that we have to make some surrender and some submission. We have to be willing to say, I mean, if you've been single for a long time and you start dating somebody, you're thinking about getting married. I mean, at some point you have to say, okay, I've been doing it this way for so long. But, but if I'm going to join my life, if I want any benefits from a relationship, then I'm going to have to be willing to make some concessions. I'm going to have to like, you know... Um, what, I mean, there's some things that are, there's some battles that aren't worth fighting, and there's some battles, there's some grounds that it's just better to give, give that ground. Can anybody here safely, safely, respectfully give me an example of a, ba of, of a, of a battle not worth fighting? In other words, something with a family, like when you, when you join together in a relationship, where you say, here's some place I had to give some ground. Does anybody... Anybody got an example of that? Well, here's, you know, in relationship, this was some ground I had to give. Again, we're in God's house. So, I, you know, I just want to just kind of a, so anything. Discipline. I mean, I am typically the disciplined person. But as the kids got older, I had to learn it's not just mommy's decision. Oh, wow. You know, it's also we got to ask dad what he thinks, where they can go, what they can do. That was just something... That's yeah. a great one. How are we going to raise the kids? Yeah. How are we going to do the discipline? That's exactly, that's a huge deal for married couples, absolutely. Um, I'm thinking in terms, of, in terms of pastoring, you know, I've always, you know, with, like with music, it's always been for me, I, I'm willing to bend and do a lot of different kinds of stuff, okay? Um, so even though I want them to do Michael <laughs> Card, I want to do Michael Card all the time. No, I mean, I, I, I want to do the hymns. 
and I want to do the choruses, and I want to do a song that you wrote, and I want to do a special song, and I want to have all that as much as we can. And if we got somebody that can do bluegrass, and we pull together a singing on a fifth Sunday, then we do some bluegrass. And if we got this over here that's the opposite of that, I'm, I'm cool with it. And I've always been kind of like wide open to lots of different stuff, but sometimes churches have had more difficulty with that, and we've had to learn how to you know, to Ben when, when Jeff and Rebecca came. That was a big change for you guys. I remember talking this stuff out. It was a big change here. And when they came, and, 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 then, and then we made this transition, and then it was almost like when we would go back to the other people, we're like, well, what is this? Because, you know, and so, and so you have to make some, some, some uh, concessions. So I'm just, I'm astounded by the fact that Paul is asking these people to be of the same mind, that that's the dream that we could get in the same mind and have the same love to be in one accord and one mind. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do it on our part in a minute, what we can do to create that atmosphere in just a minute because he's going to show us. But it takes the spirit and then also it takes the word because you can say that you are in the same mind, okay? We can say that. Now, I've been in places before, uh, well, at TCU, at Bright Divinity, um, they would pray, the chaplains would pray at football games. And they, in their desire to not ever offend anyone at all, ever, they would pray the most ridiculous, benign prayers that I don't even know who would have heard. I mean, it was like, oh, eternal one. And it was like, really? We can't say father because that offends this half. And, you know, yeah. and it was like, we can't, certainly I don't say mother, because that will offend that half. And so it was like, oh, eternal one. And then by the time they got done, I was like, I don't even know what we accomplished in this prayer. Like, you know, basically, we could have just all went around and said, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Amen. That would have been as, as valuable, you know, okay. And, and so, and I mean, that's fine for my seven-year-old. I don't know that it's awesome at a college chaplain. I'm going to chaplain to be doing that. So, so, in other words, you can water everything down to some lowest common denominator and then call that unity. And I don't think that's what's going on here. He's calling us, I mean, in order to have one mind, okay, or excuse, and one love, I mean, there are some fundamentals that Christians must have to call themselves Christians. Now, I owe everyone in the world, whether they're a Christian or not, I owe them dignity, respect, compassion, fellow human, you know, sympathy. I owe everybody that stuff. In fact, I owe them the gospel. The Bible says I owe them. I'm a debtor to everybody, Paul said. Jew and Greek, everyone I'm responsible. I mean, everyone that comes into my life might be a candidate for the gospel of Christ. So it always matters. I mean, at Pizza Hut, I don't care if you hate their guts when they walk in. They might be a candidate for the gospel. If some obnoxious administrator's bugging you as you're driving through the... I mean, that guy might be the candidate for the gospel. You know, your boss at your job might be a candidate for the gospel. The, uh, some student you're going to teach, you know, might be the candidate. So, so everybody is that. So we owe everybody that. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. But I'm not going to be of one mind with people that are not Christian. I'm not going to be. I can be kind, friendly, welcoming, etc., etc. I can't be of one mind with someone that's not a Christian. That's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can coexist peacefully. We can be friendly. We can do a lot of things, but we can't have one mind. So this idea that we're going to be in one mind is not just me watering it all down, not wanting to offend anybody. This unity is a real unity. Like, like we have the same mind. We're headed the same direction. We're on the same page, got the same vision, going to the same goals, realizing the same dreams. That's what Paul's praying. I'm just astounded by this. It's an amazing dream and goal. So, so, so how can we possibly you know, ever get there? What could I do to ever try to make that happen. Well, this is what he says. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Wow. So if we're going to... Yes, sir, Art. Yeah. 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 Going back to the apostles in the upper room and the, the uh, disciples oh, in the upper one room. One mind. 
Going back there. Yeah. Uh, from the time of the resurrection to the time of, of the giving of the Holy Spirit, it was six weeks approximately. Yeah, right. 50 days. Sure. Okay? Yeah. So these guys were in the same room, 120 people approximately, were meeting in this big room, mm -hmm. and you're going in and out all day, every day, in the night, whatever, for about six weeks. And it took that long huh. for them to become of one mind with each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were talking about the resurrection. What did it mean? What, what experiences had they had with the Lord while he was ministering, when he was ministering after his resurrection? All these things that the people who had been around the Lord Jesus Christ at that time would have been impressed by uh, sure. uh, the thing that they, he had done that had changed their life, sure. uh, the things that they had stopped, the things that they had started, all this. But remember, every time that there's a change in a person, they've had to move something out in order to receive what God had for them. Hmm. So when you begin to talk about you want to be of the same mind with every other Christian, mm -hmm. we all need to, what, be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ sure. and our relationship with Him. And that's what He introduced us with. That's yeah. what He introduced us with. Right, right. Well, I like your idea. I like your idea that they had to spend time in the upper room together because it's... community. Yeah, because it's like Jesus who says... Uh, don't worry about what they're going to do, what you're going to say when they drag you in front of the magistrates and say, you know, give an account of your faith or whatever. Because he said, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance. And I've always been impressed by that word remembrance. That's right. Because you can't have remembrance of something that you didn't once know. So Jesus was able to tell Peter, hey, buddy. Don't worry about what you're going to say in that moment. When you get dragged in front of an audience and you have to give an account, the Spirit will do what for you? Not magically drop something you've never heard in your life, but instead, since you left your nets and followed me for three years and have heard everything I've ever said to anybody for the last three years, the Holy Spirit will bring that, into your, bring that to your mind. In other words, because you've saturated yourself and soaked yourself in my word, the Holy Spirit will give you a recall. I'm they were able to I'm have. I'm glad you named Peter yeah. because specifically with Peter, he denied the Lord when he was challenged. Right. And now, the Lord says to him, "Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you a remembrance of a right thing." Yes, that's good. That's good. So they spent, as as Art says, fifty days off, roughly. Uh, they spent four, six, seven weeks. They spent all that time together, going, uh, spending all that time, and by by doing that, they learned each other. How are we going to be of one mind if we're not connected in community? If we don't commit ourselves to fellowship together, if we don't commit ourselves to corporate worship, if we don't commit ourselves to... There's too many people in America trying to consume religion. Consume it like consumers. They're trying to consume it like... I mean, it's difficult because for me... I want there to be people, Art's here from another church, Eric Gale and his family are here from another church tonight, and we want to traffic together in worship. I go and visit and I participate in other churches, but at some point, there does have to be, we're getting a little too consuming. With We've got some people who are like, we go here for a few weeks, and uh, we didn't like that, so we leave. And so then we go over here and, uh, I don't like that, and, uh, I don't like that. And, and there comes to be like, a, like it's Amazon, or like it's, you've got your iPhone out at church and you're going, uh, you know, Mount Olive, no. You know, <laughs> Trinity, no, Trinity Fellowship, no. You know, just swipe, 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 Shady Grove, swipe, swipe, swipe. And there is, there's got to be at some point a commitment on some people's part to say, yeah. we are not closed off like we, we, will, we, will, we will fellowship with other churches for sure. We want to do that, that's healthy. But we will commit to like, if 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 Daryl and Laura are not here or whatever, if you, you know, like we're we're gonna know about it. Yeah. We're gonna be committed enough to know so that we could be like, well, hey, 
You know, that's, that's not like Wes and Jess. That's been a, a week and a half. Like, is somebody sick? You know, I mean, of course, I mean, we, people communicate anyway. But I'm just saying, these people communicate. But I'm just saying, like, it, as a church, the bigger you get, uh, especially when you get into cities, a lot of times bigger cities, a lot of times, this gets to be a major problem. Because, like, accountability goes out the window. Nobody knows. Nobody knows, you know. And, and then sometimes people will leave here and go here. And then there's this in-between. And then maybe when they leave here and go here and they stop going here and then they just kind of no one in either church knows that they're not going anymore and so then the enemy just able to and so at some point while we want to you know certainly fellowship with other churches and I, I do personally uh there is a, we're gonna have to think about this consuming religion as if to say at some point just because something isn't okay just because someone doesn't like that you did the Mother's Day event the way you did it at Trinity Fellowship, they can they can get over that. They can say, pastors, you know, blah blah blah, Mother's Day, could we have Father's Day, or you know, or July Fourth, or I don't, you know, whatever. Could we next time? Could we consider this? Or did you think about this? We need to have those conversations. We need to talk that stuff out instead of I don't like what you did. I'm going to go over here and consume, and I'm gonna, like Amazon. I'm going, you know, I, I don't like that one, so I'm going to try this company over here. There's got to if we're going to get of one mind, we got to spend some quality time together, and that means that we're going to. I mean, when you start having your challenges about and questionings about, okay, how am I going to, you know, what, what's the discipline going to look like? That's not always an easy thing. Those aren't always easy conversations. There's some commitment in that. There's some digging in and saying like, I still think I'm right about that. Or, well, okay, I'm going to have to pray about that. You know what? I did and you were right about it. And there's going to have to be some of that back and forth for us in church if we're going to get of the same mind. So he says, here's how to do it. How do we get of the same mind? Don't do anything from selfish ambition. Now, this gets to be, for some church, for some people, this sounds like, you know, unrealistic. This, you know, like, of course we care about ourselves. Let me say this off the top. Jesus knows that you need to eat, you need to drink water, you need, you need some friendship, you need some security and safety. He knows you need these things in this life. How do I know that? Because He says so in His Sermon on the Mount. Okay? He says, Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the sparrows. Okay? He says, these things, these, these creatures, these, these, this aspect of creation, they don't toil or spin. They don't, they don't have any plans. I provide for them. I look out for them. I take care of them. And then he says, don't you know, one time Jesus said, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And aren't you of more value than sparrows? So it's like, I mean, if God knows all those things, uh, what they need, don't be anxious for anything. He's going to take care of you. So it's not that the Bible is saying, you know, when we say deny yourself, it isn't this thing where we go walk out into the desert and we, we just expect that if God doesn't send ravens to feed me now, I'm going to starve to death and we just give up on all you know, work or whatever else or our family commitments. When you come to Christ, you don't give up on your family. You've got to provide for your family. The Bible says so. But it set, But what we're being called to here, let's leave that extreme over there and let's leave the extreme that most of American church is involved in on the other side where we just think about ourselves, where we don't consider. You know, there's not enough transformation happening when people come through the cross in our churches. When I was a kid, there was still, to me, in my region, a little bit more of a break with the old when you came to Christ. People would come to Christ, and they weren't perfect people then, but there was a real change in their lives. But what's happened a lot in America is because we're so consumed with we've got to keep people coming to church, let's just give them easy forgiveness and promise them that and never, ever, ever speak to them about this right here. Don't ever say those words that it costs something That's to right. be a disciple of Jesus. That tr if we, ha we need more of that transformation happening. So we need, we need more of that when people are coming to Christ. And 
When, when we come to Christ, then Paul's able to say, because people in his day were coming to Christ in such a way and saying, okay, this old way of doing things is not working. My plans for life, my vision, my practice is not getting it done. Um, there's, there's problems. I'm, 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 uh, something's got to change. That person has to die. And a new person, a new creation must be born. That's what salvation is. It's not just about just getting forgiveness. It's about so much more. I want to offer this to you as a, in consideration. Somebody, when you get time this week, go to the Gospel of Luke, and if you don't have a concordance or know how to use one, then just read it, okay, Luke. But if you've got a concordance, it saves you lots of time. Probably you could Google this, I guess. Go to Luke and the Gospel of Luke, and look at how many times, and just read the verses that use this word, okay? The kingdom, or this phrase, the kingdom of God. How many times the kingdom of God is used in the Gospel of Luke? And what you find there when you do it is that Jesus was not running around preaching, God wants to forgive you your sins, God wants to have a relationship with you, God has a wonderful plan for your life, God isn't saying those things. Jesus is not preaching those things. I'm not saying that Jesus never says that there needs to be forgiveness of sins or that God doesn't, or he wants to have a relationship with you. Those things are true. But Jesus isn't preaching those things all the time. I want, I'll give you one example of what I'm saying. In Luke, I believe it's chapter 4, you get this programmatic statement that sounds like Jesus is regularly preaching in this way, okay? So hear, hear that part. Uh, this is Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Jesus said, uh, the, the Bible says in Luke 4 and 43, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So, how many times does Jesus say, I'm, in, in the Gospel of Luke and even the other Gospels, I'm, I'm preaching about the kingdom of God. What did John the Baptist come preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven or God is at hand. Amen. Jesus doesn't come in saying, hey everybody, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And he's got a great plan for your life. That's our preaching in America now. okay? And that's part of the truth. But when you make 10% of the truth everything, then you almost turn it into a distortion and a lie, okay? It's this fraction of a truth. I, I, have to, I have to forgive you of sins so that you can become the person I created you to be. You're a royal priest. You're going to rule and reign forever. So yeah, I had to forgive you of your sins and dust you off and clean you up and pull you out of the muck and mire. I had to do all of that, but that's not what this whole thing is about. That was incidental. As amazing as it is to you, from God's perspective, that was just a first step. That's, that's all that was. And what happens is, is we've started, we've decided in America that we've watered it down now to where that's it. That's the whole game. That's what we're all trying to get when we preach. We get them to come down and say that prayer and do that Romans road and it's over. And that's, and that's only 10%. It's not... It's not unimportant. It's not untrue. It's true and it's important. But it's a first step. And at some point, Paul says, let us, Hebrews, right? Let us go on from these elementary doctrines. of. Let us move on, man. Let's get to what we're supposed to be doing. Don't ever forget the cross. Don't ever get so arrogant and self-righteous that you are, are ungrateful or forgetful of where you came from. But never Never, never get stuck at first base. I mean, just keep running the bases. Let's go. That's what he says, okay? Keep. So how many times in Luke's gospel does he talk about the kingdom of God? Jesus is running around preaching, not God wants to forgive your sins and have a relationship with you, has a great plan for your life. Though all those things are true, the focus of his preaching was, guess what? God's reign is here. Now, I want you to hear this part. Because when you hear kingdom, 
Some of you immediately go to the future, okay? You go to the millennium. That's what we immediately do. Of course it's true that the kingdom of God is not here today the way it will be one day. But, 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 the kingdom of God is a present spiritual reality. Even though the kingdom is going to be consummated and everybody's going to see it, Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be a physical manifestation, that doesn't mean the kingdom isn't here. Jesus showing up is announcing the kingdom of heaven is now. It's here. Hello, everybody. God in flesh is here. The the reign of God is established. And that cross that we have, that cross is where He establishes the kingdom. And when He's resurrected, the Bible says He's the firstborn from the dead, which means Jesus is the first human being. Even though He was God in the flesh, He was also a human being. He's the first human being who's ever defeated death and has gone into that new reality of the new age. And, 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 and because that's already happened, the future is breaking into the now. And that's why it's so great when the Bible says um, in Revelation, it says... Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Now, I was an English teacher, and that is not really the way that we talk. We say was, is, and something like will be. Or will, okay? Simple past, simple present. You know, simple future-ish. Okay, that's what that is. This is a weird way of talking about the future. And Revelation says that Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Now, the reason why that's said that way is because the simple future is an outgrowth of the past. If the Texas Rangers don't get new pitching and they just keep getting better bats, we're going to keep losing. If we keep doing, what does the Amway thing say from 30 years ago? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Okay, right, okay. So the simple future is predictable. If you just keep doing the same stuff, you know where you're headed, okay? I was digging with my wife, or my son today. I was digging for my wife, but with my son. And he got into this. He has a shovel his size, which is not on topic, but really cute. But anyway... He's digging and he's working. He earned ten dollars today. I paid him minimum wage, okay? And uh, I learned, he learned what it is. He dug, he digging, and he was he got to where he was getting sore, you know. And so he was digging, and he started doing this little chunk thing, and like half the dirt was going out. I mean, it wasn't actually getting into the, you know, the uh, um, yeah, Wilbur. Wilbur. And so he's doing this number, and I stood, I stopped digging for a minute, and I was just watching. And I was like, like, how long will it take for him to fill up, you know, with, at this rate? And so he's just shoveling and shoveling. Anyway, and finally he saw that I stopped. And he was like, man, I need a break. And he looked over. And he said, you know, what's up? And so I, I showed him the pile of dirt on the ground that he had. And, and, and so in the pile in the barrel, and he started laughing. And he was like, oh, and he kind of got red-faced, you know, even redder than he was already from the heat. And he was like, uh, oh, and so, yeah, okay. And so then he changed his behavior. The motion changed and he started putting in it. Okay, so if you just keep doing what you've been doing, then the simple future is predictable. You know what the future is. It is more of the same. But the Bible doesn't say that the future is like that for believers. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Now, Most of us think of time in this way, going one direction. This is yesterday, this is today, and that's out there tomorrow. And that's the way the flesh thinks of of time. The Bible says that the biblical way to think about time is to say that yes, there's a past, and this is today, and there is a future, but that the future is on the way to me. He is the one who is to come. That at this very moment, a future that is not predictable is on the move to me. 
Jesus is the the power of the future is intersecting the present. So I'm not just fumbling my way into a predictable future, but the future is on the way to me. That's the idea that Revelation is teaching. And thank God, because if I had just continued in my addictions, if, if everything had just kept going, if I just kept being helpless, and I just kept being hopeless, and I just kept using, and I just kept doing those things, then my future would have been predictable. I would have been dead in a year. But the reality is, is that one night in a hotel on Belknap Street, in the midst of my addiction and affliction, the future intersected my life. God showed up in that place, and the power of the future impacted me so that my future is an unpredictable one now. Now my future is not just more of the same, but now uh, I'm, not, I'm not in bondage to that cycle of rinse and repeat, you know, where we're just doing the same thing. Instead, the future's on the way to me. So that is, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, we're not just talking about some future kingdom then, we're talking about what He is doing right now as well. Yes, sir? I don't want to distort your um, point or yeah, yeah, take yeah, away yeah. from the, anything, but I, as you were talking, I was thinking about two instances. One, when Jesus turns water to wine... His mother says, "My." He says to his mother, "My time has not yet come." But she, she knowing the future, kind yeah. of pulled that. And then the woman who, um, who wanted the, I forgot the story now. But she wanted the, the crumbs that fell from the table. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's you know, not, yeah. we're not going to give that to the dogs. Right. Yeah, but even the dogs. And she, she knew that the gospel was eventually coming to the Gentiles. She had that concept. Or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that... Yeah. Well, no, I mean, they, they, they have a bigger vision than, than, than what's actually... We what know you are do. to come. And we're taking that vision of the future reality and bringing it into a present... Sure. And what about the woman with the issue of blood? The Bible says that she... Uh, she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. I've always been fascinated by that phrase because that's the very phrase in Malachi where the Bible says the son of righteousness would arise with healing in the border of his garments or the hem of his garments. Did that lady, I mean, was that an active faith that this guy is the one and she's seeing the power of the future in the moment? And so, yeah, so I got to, let me get back to this and we'll keep talking. I want to talk to the ones that want to talk all night if you want to. But let me, let me finish this Philippians out and we'll come back to that. That's a great pastor. Okay, so, so how are we going to be in one mind and one, one, one accord? How are we going to have one love? It begins with do nothing from selfish ambition. But the opposite of this is in humility, basically prefer other people. Consider themselves... Uh, more significant than yourself. Uh, again, that doesn't mean think low of yourself. That, that's a caricature. It doesn't mean assume that everybody else is better at you than everything. That's not what the Bible is saying. But the Bible is saying that your plan or your desire, uh, that, that, needs to be, that needs to be submitted to the Lord so that, for instance, for instance, Paul uses this ex experience. Okay, now, just imagine it. So Paul's a Jewish person. He's from the Pharisee group. And so the Pharisees are real concerned about keeping their identity separate from Gentiles. We need to be God's people. So we need to act like it. We need to know the Torah. We need to practice these things that the Bible teaches us to practice. And Paul comes from that background. He knows that background very well. Okay, So he says something like this. He says... Now, all of a sudden, a bunch of Gentiles are coming to Christ. People who don't have our background. Okay? Now, Paul says, we're Jews, and we know there's only one God. We know that. Okay? When you read in 1 Corinthians 6, you'll find he says, if you know that there's one God, if you have a strong conscience, he says there, and you know there's one God, then when you go to the market and you buy meat, it doesn't matter if you eat the meat sacrificed to idols at the local temple because you know that those aren't really gods. doesn't matter. Eat the meat for crying out loud. But 
if some new Gentile, I'm being called noob by my kids. Uh, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Is anybody for games as a gamer? I'm getting really at this. How do you spell that word, first of all? You need to be. You need N-E-B. N-E-B. Yeah. No, uh-huh. no. N-O-O-B. Oh, You're yeah. a noob. N-O-O-B. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, they don't even know. Okay. It's confusing. Okay. That's too rational. Okay. Okay. I get it. So we're, we're, okay. So I'm getting called that a lot. So if you're a noob to the faith and you're a Gentile and you thought that all those gods, when y'all were at the, when y'all were at the, uh, yeah, when you're playing a game, you know, if I, I, I get into a game with my kid, I'm playing this game called Bloons TD6. I'm ashamed that I'm playing it with him, but I'm playing this game with him. And, uh, and, uh, and so we're playing this game, this video game, and, and he got to level 100, and I got to level 96 and died. And he said, uh, he, he said, Dad, that's good. You did really good. And he walked over here, and, my mom, and his mom looked at him and said, he's a noob. And then, yeah, he's a noob. That's, why. So I, that's what that means. It's just, you know, you're, you're, you're new to this thing. You don't have the, in, the info. So the Gentiles, they don't know. They, they're still struggling with, growing up thinking that Zeus is real. So if we went to temple and we sacrificed food to Zeus, then that might have been, we shouldn't eat that because that's, you know, whatever. So Paul actually says, we know there's one God. And if you know there's one God and your conscience is strong, eat the meat. But if you're with somebody who has a weak conscience, who comes from this situation that's a noob to this whole deal, then here's what you do. Don't eat the meat and cause them to stumble. That's what Paul's talking about with selfish ambition and humility. That's what he's talking about. Okay? He's saying uh, he's saying something like um, he's saying something like uh, not that everyone else is better than you at everything. That's what a Christian is supposed to believe. No. No. In fact, you're supposed to think sober thoughts of yourself. You ought to be able to say, I know that I'm strong in that. That's a, that's a gift of mine. I know that. And so, and, and be able to assess yourself honestly. But at the same time, just because you may know it doesn't mean everybody else has to know it. Just because you know where you stand, you don't have to, everybody else doesn't have to know that. So I, I offer you this as my uh, a conclusion. And then, I mean, if, I'll, I'll stay and talk to whoever wants to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let us, uh, I'm going to pray here just a second. But uh, thank you for your patience. But just here, here how the, the, the command was, Let's get in the same mind. Let's have the same love. Let's be in full accord in one mind, which sounds impossible. That sounds ridiculous. So we're going to have to have the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to have God's Word to do that. But the one thing that He says we can do, the part where our submission is, is, is connected, is that we, we don't do anything from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Look, Don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And I, I, we're not going to do it tonight, but if you peek ahead, the very next section of this is that wonderful, famous passage where he says, have that mind of Christ, who was God, who humbled himself, who became obedient to death. And so in other words, here's the example. Okay, What I'm really calling for in you is what we saw Jesus do. And since you're in Christ and He's in you, you can do this. I want to offer this as my this is the, the final exhortation for uh, this is always a complicated um, thing to say in 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 a in a group, but I I'll offer it to you. Uh, I've preached this sermon. Uh, I mean, not not the whole sermon, but I've I've used ten minutes of a sermon message before to talk about this several times. I always offend somebody when I do this, but not not intentionally at all. But uh, th- th- this is this is the sermon. I, I always make everyone unhappy because like one group, I'm not strong enough that way, or I'm not I'm too hard that way, or whatever. I'm not you know never. It's always uh, complicating. But but like for me, okay. Let's, let's just do something really, really testy for people, okay? Let's talk about that for a minute because this is a good example of, like, food sacrificed to idols. This is the kind of thing that the New Testament believers are dealing with, okay? So you've got the abstain, abstainers, okay? The people I grew up with in church, they said, you know, that abstinence is absolutely the only Christian way to think and 
deal with alcohol. The only way to deal with alcohol as a Christian is don't touch it, don't drink it. Then you have, you know, this party here in the church faction, the social drinkers who say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus turned water into wine. Apostle Paul told a young preacher, take wine for your stomach. Jesus promised that he wouldn't drink any wine until he came to his, new, to his kingdom where there would be new wine. Um, some of the imagery of the Bible, you know, has to do with the vine and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, we're making wine. It's done positively. Okay, by the way, when Jesus turned the water into wine, for the people who want to try to cover that up and say that that wine was whatever, listen, stop it. <laughs> the, the guy, the steward said, or, or one of the guests says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He says, usually when I'm at a wedding, you, you bring out the really good stuff, and then everybody's plastered, and then you break out the mad dog, okay, or whatever, and nobody, you know, nobody knows that you got cheap stuff, okay? But Jesus, but the steward says, hang on now, this is weird, because... That garbage you served at the beginning of this wedding is nothing like the stuff we're taking. So, so this idea that he didn't, it was unfermented or whatever, get out of here with that. Obviously, this is a strain in the scripture. Okay? In the scripture, it's there, okay? So, so that, that, all of that evidence, you know, counts against the abstainers. Now, the Bible is very, uh, very uh, unequivocal, super clear about drunkenness. It doesn't like it, okay? The Bible is un... I mean, the Bible... Be filled with uh, be filled with the spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the spirit. Drunkards will have their place, etc., etc. I mean, it's it's not pretty, okay? So so the and, and then there's this wonderful verse in Proverbs that says, "Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging, and the man that is deceived thereby is not wise." Which says basically that some of the people who think they're this are really that. Okay, that's, that's what that says. So anyway, that's enough said on that. Let me offer you this. How does this relate to Philippians? Here's how. Here's how. I don't think, strictly speaking, what I was taught is the only way to see it. I don't think all these people are telling themselves the truth. I don't think either one of those things is correct. I know for sure this is, this is prohibited in Scripture. Okay, I get that. But here's what Philippians says. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Prefer your brother. Here's the two reasons why you're not going to have Pastor Sean see him at Del Rio with a margarita. Here's why. Here's why. Not because of this. Not because I think that everybody that does goes to hell. No. Not because I think that this is okay. Okay? That that's not okay. None of that. None of those reasons. Here's why. Number one. This is a personal reason. The second reason is Philippians, okay? First reason is, if there is such a thing as an addictive gene, and I'm not convinced that there is, but if there is, my family has it, okay? <laughs> if there is no such a thing as that, and you want to call it a spirit, or you want to call it maybe just environment, how do you want to think of it? My people have it. So, if I know to do good and I don't do it, it's sin. I don't give place to the devil. I don't give him any room. I don't make provision for the flesh. And so maybe you can socially drink and be fine. My people can't do it, okay? So the first reason I don't do it is personal. The second reason is Philippians 2. And it is about stumbling. I spent 15 years of my life building drug and alcohol recovery centers. We put 250 men every day in beds, in, in buildings all across Texas so that they could go into six-month, one-year programs to recover from alcoholism and drug addiction. Let's say I'm at Del Rio and I'm on my anniversary and I'm having, and I don't know why I picked Del Rio. Why didn't I pick Guadalajara? I, I was in Lufkin. I, you know why? I know why. I ate it with Archie yesterday. That's why. Okay, anyway. So I'm, uh, I'm at Del Rio. I'm in Lufkin. I'm, I'm, I'm having... Uh, you know, uh, uh, my uh, anniversary thing, whatever, I'm sitting down. And let's say in my Christian liberty, I'm not here, I'm just here. In my Christian liberty, I'm just having one with my wife there. And then one of these fellas comes in 
and sits down across the room. And I'm so laser-locked on my beautiful wife, I'm not paying attention to everybody else around me. This guy walks in, sits down, sees me, and says, Oh, no. Oh, no. You mean the drug and alcohol recovery preacher guy can't stay on the wagon? <laughs> How am I going to stay on the wagon? <laughs> or hypocrite! Okay. Yeah, or whatever, okay? And so the Bible says, Paul says, if I cause my brother to stumble, it's not worth it. And so in this case, preferring someone else, not doing something from selfish ambition, humbling yourself, allowing someone else's concerns to, to be more important than yours, that is an example of how to do this stuff. Some of you guys need to take what I just said and extrapolate that and apply it to your own personal life. Into, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with this issue. It has something to do with the way you talk or whatever else. But a bunch of y'all need to take that right into your own, filter that through your own lives and say, okay, God, where am I being selfish? Where am I pushy? Where am I pushing? Where am I doing what I want when really it wouldn't be that hard? Or maybe it would be hard, but it would be so much better for them if that wasn't something that I did. So let me pray and we'll talk to the ones that want to talk. Father, I'm amazed at Your Word. I love the fact, God, that there's this tremendous dream and vision in it. People are lazy today. People don't have much vision. They're hopeless. I'm talking about young, old, middle-aged, everybody. We're just, we don't, we're hopeless as a people. We don't have enough vision. We don't have, we don't have great dreams anymore, hardly as a, as a nation. But Father, the Scripture offers us an awesome vision. And one of the things that it offers us and it calls us to is to have the same mind. And that's hard for one person to do with themselves, much less a group of people. It's impossible in the flesh. But with your spirit, with your word, understanding with that vision that we're royal priests and priestesses, we can do it, God. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, we have to know that your spirit and word are going to have to do the, the lion's share of the work. But what we do and what we can do, we heard tonight. Don't do stuff from selfish ambition. Don't do stuff that way. Don't, don't prefer yourself over your neighbor. Just because you can do something and get away with it doesn't mean you ought to do it, especially if it's going to hurt some other people. Father, help us to have that mind. If we had the same heart, Lord, we would have the same mind. If we loved you and loved each other the way we're supposed to, we could get to the same mind. We need a heart that's humble. We need a heart that's broken before God and is grateful for the fact that if it wasn't for God's grace, where would we be? We need a heart like that because when we see ourselves that way, then it's going to be a lot easier, Father, to show compassion and care for other people. When we realize that we are of more value to you than many sparrows and it doesn't profit us if we gain the whole wide world and lose our soul. And we understand how valuable we are to You, Lord, and how You've called us not just to be forgiven, but to be royal priests and priestesses in Your kingdom, to rule and reign with You now and forever, Lord. When we get that vision, when we see that picture, when that's who we are, then it's easier to see, Lord, and compassion for other people and care for them and say, no, I don't want to do anything to hurt them. They're valuable to God. They matter to God. And what matters to God and my Father matters to me. And so I can do this later. I can talk about that later. I can get what I want later. This needs to take precedence. Help us to have that, Father. If we can get the same heart, we'll get to the same mind, Lord. We've got to have the same heart. Soften our hearts. Some of us got hurt by people many times and it's really hard for us to open up. We're really invulnerable. We don't let people in. People hurt us too bad. People lie to us, betray us. People have done things and, 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 and now we just got our, our fists clenched. And we're just not letting people in anymore. God soften our hearts. Some of us have been lied to and seen people get away with murder and all of that and so now we're jaded and cynical 
We don't have any confidence when people tell us who they are and what they're going to do. Father, I pray today that you'll help us to give people their humanity back, forgive them, and believe the best. The Bible says that love bears all things and it believes all things. It believes the best. Father, help us to do that. Somebody says they're going to try to do good. They're going to try to do better. Instead of us assuming the worst, instead of us saying only an, a, a, an ignorant person would think that would trust them again, Lord, we, we, we have the freedom as your children. We have the right and the privilege. And we can forgive. Say, God, this is the gospel of the second chance. They get another try. They get another go. I needed another go. They, they get another go. Father, help us to do that. Of course, we have to have healthy boundaries. Just because I forgive someone doesn't mean I have to, everything goes back to the way it was, depending on what's happened. Of course, we learn from these mistakes. Of course, we create healthy boundaries. But some of us, God, we just, we, we, won't, we don't help anybody anymore because of the hurt we've incurred. And it's time for us, God, to open our hearts. We need one heart so that we could get to one mind again. Help us to do that. Help us to listen. The Bible says that we've got two ears and one mouth and that that's supposed to teach us something. That we're supposed to listen twice as much as we're talking. Help us to do that. Help us to hear people. Really listen to their heart. And maybe if they're saying something and we don't like what they're saying, maybe we, you can give us a discernment, Lord, to hear what's really going on, what, what they're really trying to say. Maybe they're not getting the words all right. But maybe we can hear their heart. Maybe we hear anger. Maybe that's all we hear is their angry words. But maybe the Holy Spirit, if we open our hearts, Lord, you could show us and we could, instead of hearing the angry words, we could hear their heart and their heart is afraid. And that's why they're angry. They're afraid of something. They're afraid that people aren't going to respect them. They're afraid that this bad thing is going to happen. And that's why they're angry. And so we could minister to their heart instead of dealing with them at the verbal level of exchanging ugly words for ugly words, we could receive their ugly words and then respond to their heart. This is what they need. Help us to do that. Give us one heart so that we can get to one mind, Lord. And then when that happens, the Bible says incredible things can happen in church. Incredible things happen in the community. We thank you for all these things. Thank you for these people. Bless them, Lord. Give them safety as they go home. Any conversation, any, any Bible reading this week, Lord, they do. Just multiply that, Father. Build that insight. Multiply exponentially these insights so that they can apply what you've said here in your word to us. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.